for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about being a church and what is it is to be a church. The, the title of this message is Church Life 101, the architecture of the church. And, and here's what what got me thinking about this. And um, I had told the, the elder team as we'd gotten together and talked about this for, for quite a while, I'd been thinking, you know, when we get to finally meet again together as a church, as we begin to relaunch and start forward in our lives again, um, I want us to be able to take some time to think about that. Because as we start to reset our lives and as we start to lean back toward normal, there's going to be some things that we're looking forward to falling right back into the old routines. But this is also a really great opportunity to say, yeah, but are some of those routines that I had for all these years not routines that I need to keep? And are there other things that I need to put in place that this reset is going to be a good opportunity um, for me to have? And I think that the way to handle that as a Christian is to really ask God, you know, Lord, what is in my life as I start moving back towards normal? What's in my life that needs to stay? What's in my life that needs to change? And is there anything that I'm missing that I can now put in place right now, something new possibly, something different that is gonna help me grow spiritually and be on track in the way that you want me to be? Um, and, and some of those things, like I said, some of those things sound great. We're looking forward. I, every week now, I'm again getting to look forward to seeing you instead of just looking at the camera, just me and the camera. Hello, South Point, glad you're here. You know, that whole thing. I'm let ready to be gone with that. There's other things I'm not really looking forward to. Any of you commuters that have been missing traffic for all the past year? You know, probably not. And some of those things uh, that we're gonna get back to don't sound great. But what, are, what about your spiritual life? Let's think about that. Because we know that it's not gonna be long at this point until we're gonna feel the full-time pressures of full-speed life. So I want to encourage you to think about those things as you begin setting up for what's to, to come next. Now, in that, I want us to look today at what it means to be a part of a church. How did God set up a church? What's the purpose? What's the point? That you might view these next couple of weeks as kind of a... Um, uh, an all-church meeting, uh, a family meeting in a lot of ways uh, for members, for, for those of you who know this is your church, and even for those who might be new visiting here or trying to figure out, you know, could this be a church where I would belong? And so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at the church. The first week today, we're going to ask a couple questions like, what is the church? How is it built? And what's it for? Those are some of the things that we're going to look at. Next week, on week two, we're going to say, who are we specifically as a church body? Who are we as South Point? And who are you as a part of South Point? And we're going to get into some detailed ministry descriptions of here's the, here's the, the things that we do as a church at South Point. Here's the opportunities for you to be involved. Here's the opportunities for you to plug in and, and make this even more of your church. All right, so for today, we're going to start there in talking about uh, the church in general and ask the question, what is the architecture of the church? What's it built with? Well, I already told you. First Peter tells us that the church is built of living stones. Living stones. People. We have felt this and experienced this over the past 12 months like never before. 
even though we've usually only met at an elementary school indoors in a building, we've always known the church isn't a building, so to speak, it's people. And that's what Peter says there in 1 Peter. He says that we are um, being built, these living stones are, are what it's, it's all about. In 1 Peter 2.5, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. All right, so we're stones. And what makes us alive? He says, the life of Christ in us is what's giving us this life. That's what's making these stones come alive. So God's people are the church. And, and here's the main passage that we're going to look at here today. It's going back to a, a passage that I taught, like I said, the last message that we had in 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. Here's what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So when you first take a look at this and say, what's the church? It's living stones, which are people. The church is people, and it's people specifically that are God's people. That's what makes a church. It's, it's God's people. Now, that might seem kind of almost mysterious and vague. And people have that idea. Like, what is a church? Is it like the intelligentsia? Is it this secret society of people that know God that nobody else knows? And it's this underground thing, uh, a shadow organization? No, it's actually visible. That's what he's saying. Yeah, there's some invisible things that have happened in your hearts and in your souls to make you God's people, but as you gather together in a group, all of a sudden it begins to have this tangible thing. You can see it. I'm looking at the church right now. I'm looking at people that are, are gathering together in God's name. In fact, the word that um, in, in the, the Bible, the Greek word that is translated church is ekklesia, which is a compound word made of two, two things. Ek, which means out of, and kaleo, which means called. It's the people that have been called out, called out from the rest of the world. That's, that's what he said there in that, that passage, right? You're this chosen people, this selected people that have been called out from darkness into light. And when we look to find a group of Christians, we look at a church. So the church is made up of people, true believers in Jesus Christ. And the visible expression of those people is found in local organizations or institutions, which we call churches. All right? So if you're filling in your little fill in the blank here, the, the second one that you'll see there today is it says, the church is the visible expression of God's people. The church is the visible expression of God's people. Here's what we also know about the church. The church, and when I'm saying church here, I'm saying um, capital C church, meaning the universal church. That everybody who is a believer in Christ, and we're going to talk about what that even means, but everybody who's a believer in him is part of that same family. And God is building his church with those people. And the church is always going to survive. It will always survive because God will keep it alive. And when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, like he said he would do, the church was born. 
And as long as the Holy Spirit remains on earth, which he tells us he's here to be with us forever, as long as the Holy Spirit is here on earth, the church is going to exist until the very, very end of everything, <laughs> when, when everything is wrapped up. So the church is going to exist. However, individual expressions of the church, little c church, local churches, um, they can falter. They can even die. Or they can veer off from, from even being, uh, they can become apostate is the word, which means you're no longer a true Christian church. The, the, but the church is always going to live on through God's people. So what makes a healthy local church? Because it's obviously more than just a group of people coming together. And the real question for us as we think about this is as, as the church, as South Point, how can we ensure that South Point stays healthy and stays on track and moves the way it needs to go? Now, I'll tell you this. When, when all of the COVID pandemic began, um, and I realized what that was going to mean for us as a church, I, like many pastors all over the world, began to wonder, how is this going to impact us? How is this going to affect us? What's going to happen with all of this? And I, I did have hope that the Lord would keep us alive and allow us to carry us through the whole thing. But even though I knew that God would take care of us and he would lead us through all of these things, I wasn't sure if we would necessarily exist as a local church when all this opened back up. I had hope and I believe that God wasn't finished with us yet. But I didn't know what would, would happen. Do, do I know that God had the power to carry us through this? Absolutely. Because I do believe that he established us and has been the one providing for us and he has the power to carry us through anything. And to be honest, yeah, this was the hardest year of our church in its short little four-year life of not being able to meet, not being able to see each other, having a lot of disconnect. I mean, uh, for, for one thing, life happens over the course of a year. And we've had various families have to leave the church for different reasons through this whole thing. In fact, at Easter last week, we just had one of the families that had to move to Arizona with a bank uh, transfer, a job transfer, ended up coming back to visit us already. You know, we've only been back as a church for two weeks and they're already coming back to visit because they moved away. That happens. That's part of, of, of life going over uh, the course of a year. And, and those people will be missed. But... Even though I wasn't sure what it would be like, where do we find ourselves today? Right here. We're here. We, we do exist. And we are together. A group of God's people gathered together. And by the definition that we just looked at, that means we're a church. We're the living stones being gathered together. And that's what the raw materials of a church are. It's the people. And I think that as the people being able to get back together again and think about these things, this is the perfect time to think about who we are and what that means and what does God have for us going forward. That's the exciting part about where we're shifting right now. I know it's been a hard year for many people. For some people, especially the 
extreme uh, introverted um, ones among us who have always kind of had jobs that will allow them to work from home, you're like, this is great. It didn't affect my life. I didn't have to do anything. I just had more things delivered to my house. It didn't have to go outside. It didn't have to take a shower in the morning. I don't know. For some people, they liked it. For most Everybody else, they're like, oh, this was hard. This is very tough. But the cool part is now we're at the spot where we're starting to see things open up and we can start moving forward. And this is the way that we can begin asking those questions. What is God doing among us and what does he want to do? And I do want to tell you this. I really do believe, as I've prayed about this, as I've talked with the leadership team, the elder team, I really do believe that our best years are ahead of us as a church. And I really do believe that God has been working these past four years, working out some of the rough spots and, and, and smoothing things over and preparing us for what is ahead. And I think it's a, a greater work than what he's already done among us. And, and that's really exciting to me because I already know God's done good things among us as a church. So what is the church built around? The church is, um, as, as I told you all already, you know, we're built with, the church is built with living stones, but what is it built around? All right, what's it built around? It's built around a shared confession of faith. This is the other thing that's important to understand about what is different between just a group of people and a group of people that are a church. We could just get a group of people together and make a club and we could, you know, uh, shape ourselves around tennis. And we could be the East Lake Tennis Society. And we all love tennis, and we build some shared tennis courts, and we all have tennis tournaments, and we think and eat and sleep all about tennis. But that's not what makes a church. It's not just a group of people with a shared interest. A church is a group of people with a shared confession of faith. Now, the way that the ancient church has done this uh, if you've been uh, exposed to traditional churches at all, you might remember that in a lot of traditional churches, they have things called the creeds of the church. And what those creeds are, you go back to the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, which I'm going to read to you here in a minute. These are, are statements that the church has gathered together and said, hey, doctrinally, what do we believe as a church? What is the, the, the shared faith that we have? What are the, the things that we hold on to that don't budge? These are the things that made, uh, made up the creeds. And they say, when we say we all believe this thing, we've now con connected at that level. All right? And all churches, capital C Church, all Christian churches share the same basic tenets. There's some other, what I would call, open-handed doctrinal things that are different in different churches. You've got the differences between your Methodist churches and your Baptist churches and your Presbyterian churches. And there's a, there's a wide variety of these open-handed doctrinal things, but there's a handful of things that don't budge, that don't move. That if you don't believe these particular things, you're not a Christian church. You might call yourself whatever kind of church you want. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or whatever, but these aren't the doctrines that you hold if you're part of those other organizations, all right? So the, the central tenets of the faith are covered in a creed. So I'm going to read you right now uh, the Nicene Creed. This is a creed that was written in 325, okay? That's 300 years after Jesus. Not 1325, 325, okay? And here's what it says. And this covers some of those basic tenets of the faith. It says this, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, 
of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, the God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us men and our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's, again, that's the lower C Catholic. That means universal. That's what Catholic means. Not the Roman Catholic church is not what's being referred here, but Catholic. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That is a statement that describes this shared confession of faith that the church is built around. And if you believe those things, you are one of those living stones that God uses and that God places in his big church and also in his local church. Now, I do want you to notice this. Here's some of the things that, that a church is not built around. A church is not to be built around social or economic similarities. You know, there's the, the old saying that says, birds of a feather flock together. And a lot of times that's how we are as human beings. We find some interest or some uh, uh, thing that we really get into and that's what we surround ourselves with. Other people that think just like us. Look at your social media accounts. Most of the time that's the way it is. And it's the same people that think the same way. That's not how the church is. Instead, we see things very differently in the church. In fact, that's one of the problems that the Jews had with Jesus. Because what, when Jesus was out doing the ministry that he was doing, he was bringing people in that weren't part of the accepted norms. He was talking to the people that were on the, out, the outskirts, the, the outcasts. And he was drawing in all sorts of people coming together. And that's what a church is supposed to be built around. It's not built around these similarities. It's built around this shared confession of faith. And so in the church, you're going to find all kinds of diversity, different age groups, different tax brackets, different industries and trades and education levels and interests and hobbies and stages of life and ethnicities and races and backgrounds because there is one faith uniting a diverse group of people. That's what a church is about. And that's why a church should never look the same. It shouldn't just be all these people that are just this way, dressed the same way, talking the same way, doing the same things. That's not, that's not what a church is. It's one faith uniting a diverse group of people. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, 4 to 6, specifically aiming, talking about the one faith that ties us together. He says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's a mini creed, right? There's one thing that ties us together. 
And it's Jesus Christ at the center of all that. But what happens? As churches want to become more relevant or appeal to a broader group of people, sometimes what happens is they lose sight of that. And they lose sight of the cornerstone, as we've learned about in 1 Peter. Remember the cornerstone? He talks about that. He said, Jesus is the cornerstone. We're little living stones that line ourselves up as we're being built into the people that he's calling us to be along him as the cornerstone. And unfortunately, what happens is people can lose sight of that and they lose sight of Jesus. And if we trade Jesus for shared interests, whether it's social interests or political interests, we're seeing a lot of that right now in churches. If we're trading Jesus for that, for this political agenda or whatever it is, we can run the risk of no longer being the true church. We just become this other political organization of people that think like us. So the church is united around this one faith, uh, uniting a diverse group of people. So what is the church then built for? I've told you what it's built from, living stones, what it's built around, the, the shared faith, but what's it built for? What's the purpose? Why are we here? Do we come together just because it's an old habit, an old routine that we used to have? Do we come to church because it stirs up nostalgia because I think about grandma and how she loved going to church. And so when I go to church, I think of my grandma and it's kind of just a nice thing. That's wonderful if your grandma went to church. <laughs> but is that what, what brings you here? Is that what connects you here? Well, what is the church built for? Well, here's, here's a few things that, that we know that the church is built for. Number one, the church is built for worship. The church has gathered together for centuries to worship God, exalting God in praise like we did this morning, in prayer, in celebration of what he's done. And as we worship God, we're coming together to try to connect with the God of the universe. The church is made for worship. And when we gather together as these living stones from all these different backgrounds and all these different places, when we come together the purpose, one of the primary purposes that we have is that we're gathering together to try to worship God together. And we create a sacred space for sacred worship. That's what is going on in this. Whether it's in a church building or it's on a terrace at a park um, or at the beach or in the mountains or in a home. When we gather together as the church, we gather together to worship. Hebrews 12, 28 encourages this and, and explains to us this. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That's why we gather together in worship. So we, one of the purposes of the church is worship. Another of the purposes of the church is teaching. Teaching. Jesus, when he uh, gave the great commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. What did Jesus tell us to do as believers, as Christians? Teach, teach what Jesus spoke, teach the attributes of God teach the scripture and what's found in it. This is what discipleship is. If you've ever heard that word, a disciple is a learner, one who is being taught. 
One of the primary purposes of the church is to teach. And I like to study and to teach the Bible. (laughs) One of our primary values as a church is Bible-centered ministry. This is why we take this time right now to dig into what the Bible tells us and teaches us that we can learn. And knowledge of the Bible, understanding the Bible, it's, it's critical to understanding God. That's why he gave it to us, that we could understand him and understand his plan for the world. When we study and learn the scripture, we start understanding who God is in, in, a, in a better way. That's why we do it. And, and honestly, especially as modern Christians, we should take advantage of the Bible that we have. Generations of people, centuries worth of people, either couldn't read, even if they had a Bible, or didn't even have access to a Bible. But we have that opportunity. But remember, even as important as the Bible is, the Bible is a tool. The Bible is a tool to lead us towards spiritual life and spiritual health. The Bible, or even Bible knowledge, that's not the end. The goal isn't so you can go on Bible Jeopardy and answer all the questions right. (laughs) There's no money in it anyway. But that's not why you do it. It's a means to the end. And, and some churches will pride themselves on, oh, how much Bible we teach in comparison to all the other, other churches. But you've got to be careful with that because you can know all the words of the Bible without knowing the word, capital W word, Jesus of the Bible. I've known that. I had college professors that were that way. Bible teachers, PhDs in Bible that weren't Christians. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, you've devoted yourself to studying the Bible and you don't even know the Lord of the Bible? That's crazy. But that is the way it can be. So, so the church is also for teaching. The, the church is also for preaching. You might think, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? I mean, I've read that verse. It talks about how God gifts people differently, some preachers and teachers. What's, what's the difference? Well, this is also where evangelism comes into it. Preaching is the declaration of the truths that we find in the Bible, the life experience and the applications of what we find. All right? And you, you need to have both because preaching without the Bible has no foundation. But the Bible without preaching has no application. Do you see the difference? That's why the church is called to preach and to teach. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We know that. That's that shared confession of faith. But he goes on and says, but how will they call on him in whom they've never believed? How are you gonna be brought into the church and part of one of these living stones if if you don't believe? But how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? One of the purposes of the church is that we would be preaching and evangelizing and sharing the good news. Because we know preaching is for believers and for non-believers alike. It's to share that good news and that mission of Jesus into the world to bring health and life to broken people, which is what we all are. Luke 19.10, Jesus said it himself. He said, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The people that are in the darkness, as we saw in 1 Peter, that have been called into light. Jesus came and said, I want to bring you into light. I want your life to be able to change and be transformed. I want you to be healthy and whole instead of broken. 
And every one of us share brokenness. And that's, that is what the church is partially here for, to be able to preach that good news and pull people from brokenness and pull people from darkness into light. And the last thing I want to say that the church is here for is for community. The church is not only here to preach and to teach, which is an absolute essential part of the church. It's not only to exist for worship, again, an essential part, but the church is also here to be a community of believers. You won't go very far and you won't last very long in your spiritual life without the community of believers. This is how it is. This is why Jesus called disciples to himself, bound them together, and taught us to do the same. We are made to live lives together. We're made to serve each other. We're made to have friends and friendships. We're made to challenge each other and encourage each other. And there's times in your life, seasons of your life, maybe years, where things are great and you're reading the Bible and you're fired up and God is good and he's good all the time and everything feels fabulous. And you feel like I could do this forever and I could just go on and on and on and on all by myself and it's all good. I got me and Jesus, it's all I need. But guess what? You live very long in life and pretty soon you realize, whoa, that's not where life stays. Not for a Christian, not for anybody. There's other times where you get to the spot in life where you're like, I don't even know, I don't know anything anymore. I don't know what I believe. I don't know what to hold on to. I don't know, I'm, I'm disoriented and I'm spinning in circles and I'm falling apart at the seams. I need somebody else to help me and carry me and comfort me and encourage me and go with me in it. That's how we are, that's how we're made. Even mature Christians need input and connection from other Christians. And that's what happens as we mature as in our faith. We grow up to become a valuable part of this symbiotic relationship that happens in a church community. We help the church. We teach. We share. We love. But then we are helped. We are taught. We are shared with. And we are loved. That's how this is all supposed to work. Hebrews 10.23 reminds us of the importance of this in this way. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's the thing that ties us all together. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Guess what? You have to be with other people to do that. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some people that think they can do it on their own but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you haven't seen anything else over the past year, one of the things that you've seen is there's a lot of, of brokenness that's happening across the world at all sorts of levels. And part of the things that we see in the Bible is we see that as time goes on, there's a lot of hard things that are gonna happen. There's a lot of hard things that are gonna happen in the church and toward the church. There's a lot of brokenness necessary that is, is still gonna take place before this is all over. And so what the writer of Hebrews tells us is, hey, you need other people 
you need to gather together. You need to be together. You need to encourage each other. You need to stir each other up for love and good works. You need to draw together. The church is for community. So, all of those components that we just talked about, they are all necessary for a healthy church. And every Christian needs all those basic things. But here's what you have to realize. Not every church is healthy. And not every church attender has a healthy understanding of that relationship and their relationship to the church. Some people might say, I go to church so I can worship because I need to worship. But as for the preaching and teaching part, I got that. I read the Bible. I understand what's happening there. The community, I don't need that. I got my friends at the gym. But what I'm telling you is all these different things, no matter where you focus, all, they're all essential. Some people come to church just for community. I don't believe all that other stuff that you guys believe, the crazy stuff about some guy dying and rising again. That's nuts. But I know I need people, and these are nice people, and they have good morals, and so I want to be around people. What I'm telling you is every one of these pieces is essential. They're necessary components. But what's happened, especially in, in our world right now, is that we've seen a consumerism that's, that's entered into people's understanding of the church. And instead of understanding the church as it has these functions, instead, they just start, they, they've been conditioned, people have been conditioned to think that the church exists just so they, for what they can get out of it. And they'll go to a church and they'll say, I just, what can I get out of this church? What does it give me? The church is supposed to meet my needs. But that's only half right. Is the church meant to meet your needs? Totally. And should it be meeting your needs? Yes. But you also are supposed to be a part of it. And you are pouring back into it. Think about the health of a marriage that's set up that way. And you know people like this. People have gotten married and say, I'm only in this as long as I can get what I need out of it. But as soon as I'm no longer getting what I need out of my marriage, I'm out of here. Because the marriage is for me. Guess what? If you're living marriage like that right now and you're married, it's time to start doing some soul searching. Because that's not how a relationship works. There's lots of things where you're not getting, you're giving. That's how a relationship happens. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't view that they have a relationship with a church. What they view is, I just go there to take what I want, and then I'm hitting the back door. It's not God's vision for it, and it's not how a healthy church or a healthy Christian will function. So, as, as, we, as we think about this, my question then for you today as we finish here today, why then South Point? Why South Point? Now, I'll tell you this. Some of that is, is kind of a mystical answer, even miraculous. For some reason, God chose to put you here today. And no matter where you came from, you're here today. I don't know if you'll be here next week or not, but I, we, I don't even know if I'll be here next week or not, right? God knows those things. But today we're here. And why has he brought you here? And, and, and why would he have you here? I, I sometimes like to view God as, and, and the Bible does this, it's not like I thought it up, but view God as, as a gardener, 
a great gardener over the earth, right? Not only is he the creator and he planted all of the earth and everything else and he created these things and, and he saw that it was good. The Bible also uses uh, the, the image that, of God as, as one who's going out and sowing seeds, planting seeds, right? If you remember that parable that Jesus tells, and God is choosing where he drops these seeds and the soil that he's putting them in. And then as he plants those people, he also plants them in proximity to grow a church and grow a group of people together. And from there, he begins working and cultivating it and allowing it to grow. And he's the one who brings the sunlight and the water and the nutrients needed for that, that church to grow. And I believe, because I know you, many of you, very well, I believe that God has specifically put you here for the purposes that he has here. And he's growing this beautiful garden with the unique people that he's drawn here. Your story is part of the larger story. The gifts that you have and that you have been given are not just for you and your immediate family. It's also for your church family. And he has a place for you in that, a purpose for you in that. Your gifts are meant to be used here. And your life is meant to be shared here. So your connection to a church is built around your connection to God, as we said, it's what makes you the living stone, but it's also in your connection to the people of God. Your connection to a church is built around your connection to God and your connection to the people of God. So that's how I answer that question. Why South Point? It's because of our greatest resource, God himself and his people. The reason why I think you should be part of this church is because of the people that are here. There's many other places with much nicer buildings than what we have and better air conditioning and more resources and fancier chairs and on and on and on. And that's all true. But the valuable asset that we have and that we share is the people. It's the people. And as God has been growing us as a church, I think he's given us clarity and shape as a people. That's one of the things I'm most excited about. It's not just our habits that we've been meeting together for four years. It's also that he's starting to shape us in many, many ways. And you're going to find people in this church who are living out the, the mission of our church or the vision statement that we have of a church, which is you're going to find people that are committing themselves to become a healthy, vibrant Christian community that's devoted to Jesus Christ and his transformation of our lives as we learn to love one another and our community for God's glory and our fulfillment. We all ended up here today in different ways. No two paths are identical. Every one of you has a unique history and experience that allows you to sit here today. Every one of us. But as God builds us all together as his church, I think we're gonna be able to experience something 
incredible. Something that is rare and wonderful, which is a healthy church whose architect is God. Amen? Well, next week, we're going to take some time looking specifically at the anatomy of a church. The church is a body. And we're going to see the specific ways. This was more theoretical and a big understanding. Next week, we're going to talk about details, the nitty-gritty of what it is to be involved with God's work among us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your church. And I thank you this morning for every person who's here. And Lord, I believe that you have drawn people here and drawn people to this body for your purposes and for the work that you desire to do in us and through us for each other. And Lord, I just pray that by your spirit, you would tie us together and bind us together and draw us closer to one another. I pray that you would give every one of us a vision for the church, that we would love your church, which is, we're gonna study next week, it's the body of Christ. That we would have a desire to be a part of the church and connected to the people that make up the church. And so Lord, I pray today that you would give us a draw and a desire and a passion for one another that equals our passion and our desire for you because that is how you have drawn us together. These people that we learn to know and love are gonna be the people that we're spending eternity with. And I just pray, God, that you would allow us to be the people that know your church, that see your church, that support your church, that connect to your church for your glory, for your honor, and for our fulfillment in it all. Bless your people today. Bless what has been taught here today. I pray that it would go deep into people's hearts and minds, that it wouldn't just blow away as we leave here this, this afternoon, but instead it would go deep, deep, deep into their souls. We thank you and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.